Our title this morning is Get to the Feet of Jesus. And we're going to be continuing on with uh, our study in Luke's Gospel. And we are now at Luke chapter 7. And we're starting at verse 36. And we're going to finish up at eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 2. So let's just have a wee read of some of these verses, um, starting from verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood at the feet of Jesus behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. I just wanted to read that, start us that small portion of the story. We'll finish the story off. But I wanted to talk this morning about this woman. Uh, the, the amplified version it says a little bit more. It says this woman came who was an especially wicked sinner. That's how the Pharisees saw her. And if you notice, in your notes I have put the title, She was a woman with a terrible past and it looked like a no hope future. And she came to Jesus. She came to Jesus. I think this woman came because she was hopeless. She was feeling hopeless. And she came because she had heard about Jesus and she was coming really searching and feeling that she had no other hope except to get to his feet. And when I think of this woman, I think of a woman who has had a lot of pain in her past. And I think a lot of us can identify with her this morning, can't we? Because a lot of us have come through painful circumstances and a lot of us have felt that hopelessness that I believe this woman felt. And there's a verse in Romans 15 that I always love and I'm going to speak it over you this morning because I believe God wants to speak this over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an amazing verse to just decree over every woman that's in this place this morning? That there is a God of hope and he wants to fill you. He wants to fill you with all joy and peace in believing. As you believe him, as you put your faith and your trust in him, he wants to fill you up with joy and hope and peace. And so this is what the lady was looking for, I believe. And it says, the Amplified says, that she was standing behind Jesus at his feet. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. When she's described as an especially wicked sinner, some of the translations call her a harlot. And it's obvious that in that society she would have been looked upon as being a woman of ill repute. And a woman who had uh, committed sexual sins. And you know that, that the religious people at that day, and in fact... Um, even today, the religious people 
are very hard on sexual sin and yet we know that sexual sin is perhaps well not perhaps i believe it is the most painful sin it's a different kind of sin a lot of people think sin is sin but sexual sin has a particular pain i want to just to read to you a couple of verses from first corinthians 6 I think I'll read it to you in the Amplified because it really makes it very, very clear. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, here is what it says. Just bear with me till I get the place. Here we are. It says the body is not intended for sexual immorality, but is intended for the Lord. And the Lord is intended for the body to save and sanctify and raise it again. And then further down it says... But the person, oh sorry, I'll go back a wee bit. It goes on to say in verse 16, Do you not know and realise that when a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? The two, it is written, shall become one flesh. But the person who is united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun immorality and all sexual looseness. Flee from impurity in thought, word or deed. Any other sin which a man or a woman commits is one outside the body. But he or she who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So there's something different about this sin. Do you not know that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you? Whom you have received, you've received the Holy Spirit as a gift from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, purchased with the preciousness, and paid for, made his own. So then, honour God and bring glory to him in your body. So we see here's this woman. She's living at the time that Jesus was alive. She hears that he's in the house. She's heard about the miracles that he has done. Uh, and she has made it her business to get to the feet of Jesus and she is weeping and kissing his feet. This is a woman who had no hope, but this is a woman who was full of remorse, who was full of pain and disappointment and remorse for what she had, um, what she had done or hadn't done in the past. And you see, the thing is that because she was full of remorse, and because she was repentant, she wanted to make change. She had reached a point in her life where the pain was too great. There's something about sexual sin that causes us a pain that twists a knife inside us. And I think we can all agree to this. And, and you know, when we talk about sexual sin, there's not one woman in this room that hasn't suffered from, from the cause of sexual sin in one shape or another. We've all, we've all suffered. We've, we all know what it is to, to carry the pain of sexual sin. And it may be that you've been sinned against or it may be that, you, that you've been the one who's, who's been to blame. We're not talking about blame. We're talking about the pain that comes from sexual sin. Because God's plan was to make sex beautiful under his covering as a man and a wife under the covering of God, where it could be totally enjoyed to the full. But the enemy has totally removed that covering and has caused havoc and pain, as he always does, because he has pulled immorality in and he has pulled people out of that covering. And sex before marriage or adultery in marriage, whatever way you want to look at it, 
causes pain in the end. And so this woman had had it up to here with the pain. She was looked at by the community. She was looked as being a harlot or an extremely wicked sinner, if you please. This is a woman who may well have been the victim, who may well have been the victim of sexual sin because of having come into a place where she had no money and where in that society there was no hope for her unless she sold her body. She may have been totally used and abused by men. Whatever it was, this is a woman who suffered. This is a woman who had come through a lot of pain. And this is a woman who's at the point of being totally hopeless. And she's coming to his feet. And I want you to get this. She gets to the feet of Jesus, the spotless Son of God, the one who is totally, the, the only one who never committed sin of any kind. He is totally pure. He is totally spotless. And she gets to his feet and she starts to weep and to kiss his feet. She didn't feel that she was untouchable. She didn't feel that he would put her, turn her away. She found herself accepted at his feet where she started to kiss his feet and to weep and to put, wet his feet with the tears uh, coming out of her eyes. It goes on to say here, Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now I want you to get the picture. Here is Jesus, the most spotless man who ever lived, who, who, was, who never committed a sin, who was holy and pure and undefiled. And he's sitting in this house of Simon, and Simon's a Pharisee and he's a very religious man. But let me tell you, he's a man. He is not sinless. He's a man who has committed sin. And yet he is the one that's pointing the finger to this woman. He is the one that's saying, this is a wicked sinner. And he's making an assessment in his mind and he's thinking, you know what? If that man, Jesus, if he really was who he says he is, he would know not to let that woman touch him. He would know she's a sinner. He, he wouldn't allow her to come and kiss his feet. And he's making a judgment in his head. And you know, this causes me so much pain because when I think about how we make judgments on other people, and you know what? We're just sinners ourselves. We're just like Simon the Pharisee. We are sinners as well. And yet the one who is sinless is the one who's not afraid for us to touch him. He's not afraid of our sin. He, he's the one who embraces us. He's the one who says, come, come on to me, and I will give you rest. But here's the wonderful thing. This woman had come with a repentant heart. This is a woman who came because she had reached the end of herself. You see, it says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, one of my favorite verses, do you underestimate the wealth of God's kindness and forbearance and long-suffering patience? His kindness is intended to lead you to repent. I love that because, you see, another translation says, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. In other words, because God is so good, he leads us gently to come to that place where we are repentant because until we become repentant, there's no hope for us. And if this woman had come in like Simon and had come in all gung-ho and I'm fine and I have no need to repent, she wouldn't. She'd gone away empty. 
But because God's goodness had led her to a place of repentance, she's down at the feet of Jesus and she is weeping. She's breaking her heart. Have you ever broken your heart over your sin? Have you ever cried or wept because of your sin? I can tell you I have. I remember one time, because I let myself down so badly, I remember having to leave the room in my work when I was in my 20s. And I remember going and closing the door in my bedroom and weeping and weeping before the Lord. Have you ever been there? That's good. That's good. If our hearts are soft, we will realise when we sin that it breaks his heart. And it's his goodness that leads us to a place where we want to repent we want to get that stuff sorted with and we want to be free. Do you know that sin that hangs around you that you don't repent from? Do you know that it just hangs on you like a big weight? And you're going around and you think you're okay but you're actually weighted down because you haven't repented and until you repent you can't get rid of the weight. And God wants us to fly. He doesn't want us, he wants us to be weightless. He wants us to fly because our sin has been taken off us. If you think of all that stuff that just creeps up but you just compromise here and just that week it doesn't matter if you gossip there and it doesn't matter about that and you just become hardened to it and before long you don't even realise that you've got like big heavy weights all around you. And until God's goodness, until you come to a place where you say, I'm sorry Lord, please forgive me, I want to stop doing that. Then when you get to that place, he's ready to lift those weights off you and you'll feel the lightness and you'll feel like, oh, I, feel, I feel I could fly. You know that song? I know I can fly. Well, that's what God wants for you. And you know, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 to 10, that there is a sorrow that leads to repentance, but that godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation, and that that is not to be regretted. But sorrow of the world only produces death. There's a sorrow, a worldly sorrow, that'll get you nowhere. You could be grieving over stuff in a worldly way. That will not change anything. It'll just be remorse. But when you come to Jesus and you say, I'm sorry, I'm repenting, that's godly sorrow. And that leads to freedom, forgiveness, salvation, lightness. That, that leads to the good life. That leads to the life that Jesus came to give you to the full. And so we see that this is a woman, and, uh, and, and this is a woman who... Uh, who I believe the Lord wants us to think about this morning and put ourselves in her position. I wrote in your notes, but although this woman might not have fully realised it, having a sinful past was not going to stop her from having a blessed future. Now, I want you to get that. Whatever there is in your past, whether it's sin or whether it's pain of some other kind, whatever has happened to you that you think has changed your life, because all pain ultimately comes from sin. Did you hear that? All pain in this world, whether it's death or grief or sickness, whatever it is, ultimately it comes because we live in a sinful world. Maybe not necessarily your sin, but because we live in a sinful world, all of these painful things happen. And whatever there is in your past that you think is going to stop you from having a future, you need to forget that and you need to turn to God and you need to say, I believe the truth is, Jesus, you died on the cross for me, you paid the price for my sin to set me free from it and to, to give me a hope and a future. That God has a plan for your life and a hope and a future. And I wrote in your notes, 
Anything can happen at the feet of Jesus. You know, it's a real good thing if you're able to get down on your knees. You know, since I broke my knee last summer, I can get down. I'm not so good about getting up again. (laughs) But you know, if you can get down and you can get yourself some way of getting up again, I'll tell you what, it's a good thing to get to the feet of Jesus. It does us. It's a really good place to be. And anything can happen at the feet of Jesus. When we come and repent and say, Lord, just lift this off me. Please forgive me. Help me. I'm repenting. I want to turn away from that. And I want to go your way. And I want to be in agreement with you. Something happens in that moment that sets you going in a way that just lifts you. And I tell you, gives you momentum and carries you into greater things. Do you know one of the things that I've been really feeling recently is that God wants to give you more and more and more. When you get saved, you think, that's me. No, it's not. When you get saved, that's the start of a journey, and he's just saying, right, take this step. And then he says, here's another step. And sometimes it's a bit scary to take the next step. But God said, I want to give you so much more. Come on, take the next step. You can do it. And that's what God wants you to know, that he is so much for you. But the enemy wants to take from you and rob you and have you going backwards and backwards. You know, we had a beautiful time over the weekend. I was only dipping in and out a little bit. But uh, Diana, who's going to be speaking to you here over the next two Tuesdays, she and a whole team of women in this church, they organised a weekend for the younger girls. It was called Sisters. And it was geared geared from age 16 to 21. And they had just so much led on here. And the atmosphere was beautiful. And Charlotte Kern from Portadown Elam was here on, on uh, Friday night. And she was, I mean, she was just spoke beautifully. I mean, very powerful message. But one of the things that she said, and it really blessed me, and it has stuck in me ever since. She talked about the Garden of Eden and how, you know, when, when they sinned, how immediately came the shame and the fear and then they hid and how that's the the sort of the cycle of what happens when we when we sin against God we feel shame and then we feel fear and and then we we hide from God and very often hide from each other but here was a picture that really got me she said it's almost like the real you steps back and this fake person This person who's not really you, this pretense person, steps forward. And you know, that's just a very strong word for for young people because that is what what happens, isn't it? You know, shame and and it's okay, you can do this and we can hip and hop and all the rest of it. But if you get into stuff that that, that is damaging, that is the enemy's tempted and, and trying to destroy their lives. And before they know the shame and the fear and then the hiding, the, the real person, isn't, isn't able to actually feel right before God or, or anybody else. So the real person steps back and this fake person comes forward. But you know what? That's not just for the 16 or 17 year olds. That's for all of us. Because there's a fake in every one of us. And so often because we're not actually willing to step forward and let the real person step forward and be real with God and real with each other, because we're not willing to step forward, we're, we're back here somewhere and this fake this pretense person is saying and doing all the right things, but they're not enjoying life because it's fake and they're not real. And so this woman who came to the feet of Jesus, do you know what? She had made a decision. She had had it up to here. Too much pain. She was going to put the fake back 
and she was going to come and she was getting down on her feet before Jesus and she didn't care what Simon thought of her and she didn't care what anybody else thought of her. She just wept those tears of repentance and she kissed his feet and she dried his feet. You know her hair, a woman's hair is her glory and she dried his, her feet with her glory, with, her, with the hairs of her head. She didn't care about her makeup. She didn't care if the eyeliner was running, girls. She was going to be real with Jesus. She was at his feet and she was out of control. She was weeping, weeping because of the weight that she was feeling, because of the shame and the fear. She, she'd had too much, girls. She was ready for reality. Are we ready for reality this morning? Are we ready to step back, let that fake person go back there? Are we ready to step up and say, this is me, Lord, and start to be real with each other and say, God, I want to go forward in truth. What did Jesus say? When you know the truth, the truth about yourself, the truth about God and how much he loves you, when you know the truth, what? The truth will set you free. And that's what God wants for you. And that is what this woman was desperate for. I love Psalm 130. It says, If you, Lord, should keep account of and treat us according to our sin, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. But there is forgiveness with you. I love that. God wants to cleanse us and wash us. The Amplified says he'd give us just what we need. He is a wonderful, wonderful God. But this Pharisee, he was making a judgment based on his own intellect. He was saying, if, 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 if Jesus, if that man really was the son of God, he would know she's a sinner. Somehow or other, he was missing it altogether. Here's the way the Amplified puts it. Here's what Simon said in the Amplified. If this man were a prophet, he would surely know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she's a notorious sinner, a social outcast devoted to sin. <laughs> that, was his, that was his estimate. And all the time, Jesus saw her heart. And Jesus had a different judgment to make about her. I wrote in your notes, we are not equipped to judge because we do not know all the facts. Only God has seen everything that has happened. Only he has all wisdom and ability to judge. Jesus knows, listen to this, Jesus knows everything about us and you know what jesus not only loved this woman but he loves you you need to get this this morning he loves you and he sees your heart and he knows exactly where you are and his love's going out to you and we see that throughout the gospels we see the love he had for the woman who was taken in adultery do you remember they were about to stone her and he said let him without sin among you lift the first stone Remember, he, 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 he loved the woman who came to him at the well in John 4. And then over the next week or two, we're going to be looking at another lady, Mary of Bethany, who came to him and, and learned at his feet. That was unheard of because women weren't meant to be studying in those days. They weren't, meant to, they weren't allowed to be rabbis. They weren't allowed to study. But Jesus had her listening and studying like a rabbi at his feet. We're going to look at that over the next week or two as we come to it. Jesus has loves women and there's a place for them. The scriptures are full of it. I really want to talk to you a bit about women when we get to this bit about Mary at Bethany because I tell you this, well, I'm not getting going down that line because we're, we're coming out of here early this morning. Okay, so we're going to, we just want you to know that. Remind you that he loves women and he loves women in ministry. And he's saying to you, look, no, no holes barred, girls. Come on, get up. 
I can, I can bring you into stuff that you'd never imagine you'd ever do. It's time to realise that he wants more for you. He wanted this woman to know a fulfilment in her life. He wanted this woman who was a prostitute. He wanted to rid her of all the shame and all the fear. He wanted to set her on her feet and get her going into her destiny. And that's what he wants for you this morning. Let's just read on here uh, what uh, happened after this. So looking from verse... Um, Verse 40, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So, Jesus, so, we, so Simon said, teacher, say it. And then Jesus said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him a hundred denarii and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to which, with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him more. Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. You know, it looked on the surface, it looked as though Simon was actually open for Jesus to correct him. It looked like that, didn't it? Because he was saying, stay on. And, uh, and yet he really wasn't getting it. Maybe he did at the end, I don't know. But Jesus was, was really saying to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you about your attitude in comparison to this woman's attitude. And then he told this lovely story about who would love more, the one who's been forgiven a whole lot or the one who thinks that they've only needed a little bit of forgiveness. Well, obviously Simon was able to say that the one he guessed, the one who had been forgiven more, was the one who would love more. And Jesus said, that is exactly right. You know what I've discovered? The more I realise how much I've been forgiven, the more I realise how much I'm loved. And the more it evokes love in my heart to respond to Jesus. The trouble is with all of us, and with me as well, that so often we think, well, we got saved 15, 20, 30 years ago, maybe only, only last year. We got saved, and he's forgiven us our sins, and that's it. A lot of us aren't actually sin conscious. A lot of us are overcome with sin, and we, we, we become so hardened to it because we can't bear to think of it. We just, we just carry on, and we become oblivious to it. And that's not good either. I'm not saying we should be so nitpicky about everything. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about enjoying God's presence because we know we've got a clean slate. When we know that we're being forgiven every day and there's a clean slate for us, our actual emotions will become much 
much more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When we enjoy that fresh daily cleansing that God intends us to enjoy, then we become sensitive to what God's saying. We become happier people. We waken up in the morning and we've got a focus and we know that God's calling us into something and life has taken up purpose and there's a sense of excitement and anticipation. That's what it means to walk in that fresh daily anointing that God has given us to be our rightful inheritance. He died on the cross, not just to give us a ticket to say, when you get to heaven, you'll get in. He died on the cross so that we could walk in the light as he is in the light and that the blood of Jesus Christ would cleanse us every moment of every day. And if we do get it wrong, that we become sensitive to that, not in a condemning way, because that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to become so sens sensitive to your sin that you condemn yourself and hate yourself and you never get over it. That's Satan's plan. God says, no, just become aware that you've, you've just grieved me a little bit and just in that loving relationship, repent. Remember, repentance is your gift. Is your gift. When you allow that repentance to be your gift and to, to be the turning in that every moment of the day, just in, as you look around you and everything you do, that you're conscious that you're walking in the love of God, that you're conscious that his favour is on you and you're not grieving him. That is the best life that anybody could ever live. That's what God wants for you this morning. And so as we look at this woman, and as we look at how uh, even Simon recognised that the person who realised that they had been forgiven much, they would love much. And the trouble is that because we have come under condemnation, and we're just down under it, and we think we can't get up, and we're, we're going to heaven, we're saved, but we're not really sensitive to that moment-by-moment -moment walk with God, we're not actually aware of the forgiveness that there is. That's, do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? When you realise that, that, that there is an awful lot that needs constant washing, that you are actually being forgiven an awful lot, when you realise that, then your love rises and your appreciation rises and you begin to walk in a whole new way with your lover, with your saviour who has become your lover and your friend. And, and because of your sin, it's not something to, put, something to put you down, but because you're conscious that he's continually washing it away, this love relationship with him becomes so sharp and so intense that, that actually your love level rises because you're being forgiven much. And you know you're loved much and you love him back as he loves you. And this is the way that God wants us to walk. I wanted to read you a, a few verses um, just from the Amplified Version because I feel that, um, I feel that, that uh, there's something in the way the Amplified puts this. So just bear with me till I, till I find the place here. Um, San, where are we? Seven. seven. Okay. Um, we're in chapter 8, aren't we? Going on to another Bible here. So let me just... No, we're not. We're still in the, in the end of... Yeah, here we are. Okay, so here's what he says. Um, you, he's saying to Simon, you didn't anoint my head, um, etc. And then he says, verse 47, Behold, I tell you, her sins, many as they are, are forgiven her because she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. I really wanted to stop at that point where Jesus turned to the woman and said, your sins are forgiven. It seems by this time that there was a lot of other people had come into the house. Um, and uh, it says, uh, those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now here's the thing. All these other people are sitting around. Get the picture. 
Here's Simon the Pharisee and all these other guests are sitting around. And this woman who's down on her face on the floor doesn't care what anybody thinks of her, doesn't care the mascara's running down her cheeks. She's, she's kissing his feet and she's full of repentance. And Jesus turns to this woman and in front of everybody else, he speaks directly to her as though there was no one else in the room. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. I just love that. I love that he spoke to her and he spoke on her behalf in front of these influential and powerful Pharisees. And it reminded me that it reminded me of this amazing truth that no matter how far down you are or how far away you feel, it reminded me that Jesus is the one who speaks on your behalf to the Father in heaven. He is the one that speaks to you, but he's the one who speaks for you. Jesus was speaking to the woman, but he was also speaking on her behalf to all who were sitting around. And you need to know that you have a God who loves you so much that he will speak directly to you. Believe you me, he wants this personal relationship with you. He wants you to get yourself sorted and repent and bring stuff out in the open. And he wants to have this wonderful relationship for you. But you need to know that he's also interceding for you, even to the throne in heaven. And that he can even speak up for you to the people around you. He can defend you. He can be the one who will fight your battles. You don't need to fight your battles on your own. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord loves you as he loved this woman. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? But Jesus said to the woman, now I want you to get this in the Amplified, but Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go. Now, I'm going to read this really slow. In the Amplified, it's amazing. Listen to this. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go, enter into peace, in freedom from all the distresses that are experienced as a result of sin. What's he saying? He's saying to this woman, you've come here and you've been repentant and you've shown your repentance. You've been weeping there at my feet. And he's saying, because you've had faith to believe that I am ready to forgive you, your faith, he says, what I want you to do now is to enter into it. Go into it. That takes faith to step in. You know, I've found myself recently where I feel a little bit of a downer coming on. Did you ever feel that? You know, the wee bit of a downer. And I'm, I find myself much quicker to say, what am I thinking here? And immediately I'll start to speak out, thank you, Lord, that you love me. Thank you that right now you're for me. Thank you that my sins are forgiven. Thank you, Lord, that you're fighting for me. Thank you this is going to be a good day. You see, when you start talking like that, I'll tell you, those feelings will go. And he wants us to step. He says, let me read it again. This blew me away, this verse in the Amplified. Your faith has saved you. Go, enter into peace. How do you enter into peace? By faith. You choose to believe that all is well, that the God of peace is fighting for you, that all is well. You enter into peace. And then you enter into freedom from all the distresses. Sometimes distresses come against us. Depression, distress, fear, disappointment, all of that stuff. We, we, we need to enter into God's peace to know that he takes care of all of that. I have a friend who's going through a horrific situation at the moment 
where she could be blamed for something that would be very serious that she was not shouldn't be blamed for but it looks like people are trying to put blame, blame on her do you know what she is choosing to enter into peace and we have been praying and you know what she has been rising above us and she's found she has this peace in her and this sense of do you know what God's actually working this for good and we're beginning to see already how some good things are coming out of it because even the worst thing that Satan brings against you God will turn it for good if you hand it over and trust him that's what this is all about that's what this walk is all about and Jesus is saying to her go enter into peace enter into freedom from all the distresses that are experienced as a result of sin believe you me distress is a result of sin it mightn't be your sin it might be somebody else's it might be because sin is in the world it's a sinful system whatever way it happens distress and pain come from being in a sinful world and god wants to save us and wash us and he wants our lives to count in this world and then it goes on i'm going to read these couple of verses and then we're going to finish Verse 8 says, Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through towns and villages, preaching and bringing the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the twelve apostles were with him, and also some woman who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been expelled. And Joanna, the wife of Tusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who ministered to and provided for him for Jesus. They provided for Jesus out of their property and personal belongings. It says in the other translation, they provided out of their own substance. Jesus brought this woman into peace. He lifted her up, if you like. He forgave her. He changed the course of her life because she got to his feet. And then as he continued to journey around Israel, as he continued to travel through the villages, he finds these other women coming along to him. And I, I love the fact that Jesus always seems to have been surrounded by women. And these women have been healed from sickness, disease, and from evil spirits. And, you know, uh, recently we've been doing some uh, prayer ministry training from David Legg. And one of the things that he says, and I think it's so powerful, is that wounds wounds need to be healed if you've been wounded you need jesus can heal your wounds sin needs to be repented of and demons need to be cast out and those are are three areas that come against us because there is a demonic world there are evil spirits there is a spirit of fear a spirit of fear can come upon you and it can come upon you through a wound something that's traumatized you or wounded you and a spirit of fear or some other kind of spirit a spirit of depression other loads of 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 of, of evil spirits can jump in on a wound wound and sin can actually come in on top of sin as well it gets very confusing but basically that's the truth these women were coming some had diseases some some needed to be delivered from the demonic and Jesus had done it. And of course, we all love Mary Magdalene and we will be looking at her as we continue through this gospel. But Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her. Can you imagine the pain that that woman was in? Can you imagine the torment? One of the things that recently I've become very aware is that unforgiveness opens us up to the tormentors, which would really speak of the, 
of the, uh, of the demonic. No wonder people who refuse to forgive others, no wonder that they are tormented and cannot go forward. Because if you read the story in Matthew chapter 18, where you remember the man was forgiven a whole lot. Jesus told a story about this man who was forgiven a whole lot. And then he, the man went out and he wouldn't forgive someone else who hadn't done that much. Do you remember that story? And, and the, the person who refused to forgive, do you remember what happened to him? Jesus said that the tormentors had, they had the right to take him, that he was given over to the tormentors and he was put into a prison. Do you know that just recently a friend of mine realized that she was still holding on forgiveness? And do you know what? She made a point, it was just over a week ago, uh, and, and, and I was talking about this and she was sitting in the audience. And she realized, I talked about how unforgiveness is like the demonic have a legal right to keep you in prison and hold you like a hook in you and hold you in prison and you can't get out. Do you know that she made a decision? She had been holding an unforgiveness for a long, long time, many, many years. And she made a decision that she was going to let it go and she was going to choose to forgive. She was going to choose to release that person and she was going to speak it out. No matter what she felt, she was going to speak it out. Do you know what? A major shift in her life happened three days later major major that we i've been praying with her for years about this i'll tell you you can't go forward if a demonic's got a hold of you and these women had been tormented and i would guess that that mary magdalene one of those would have been would have been those spirit of torment that comes from unforgiveness i don't know what her what her past was but that could well have been one but don't let it be one of the demonic realm that get a hold of you because you refuse to forgive and let go you need to let go of it because you can't go forward. You're the one that's being held back if you choose to hold on to that unforgiveness. But you know what blesses me? Not only Mary Magdalene, and uh, we were in, in the, the village uh, where she lived there last year and the year before in Israel, and it's amazing to see that way down, you can see the old original roads where Jesus would have come into that village, still there. And... and not only was there Mary Magdalene, but this other lady that's mentioned here kind of got my attention as well. This lady called um, Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod Stuart. Isn't it amazing that Herod, who was the king over that area, that one of his staff, that his wife was actually following after Jesus. I tell you, he was drawing them from all places in society. He's, it wasn't just these, it wasn't just slaves or prostitutes that were coming. It was people from Herod's palace were coming and giving up everything to give whatever they had to, 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 to minister to Jesus and to take care of him. To give off, I love that word, to give off their substance. Do you know what? We owe everything to God. We owe everything we have. We owe God for it all. And you know what? It's about time that we give back to him out of our substance. What is your substance? What have you got to give? Your time? Your prayers? What's your substance? What can you do for the kingdom? I believe it's time for us all to say, look, take it all, Lord. I surrender all. It's time to give back to him. I love what, uh, what the guy went, uh, Jim Elliot, who went to the Indians in South America and actually gave his life for the gospel. And I love what he said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Give it. What do you give to Jesus? You will, you will, you will 
get it back a hundredfold. Give what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose. Let's start putting into and investing into the kingdom. Let's start investing into what's going to last forever and ever. What about putting more of our time into speaking into people's lives, into encouraging our young people, into saying, come on girls, let's encourage each other. You can do this. What about getting together and praying together and asking God for the day and daily stuff that's going on? What about having this time, a time every day where we are spending this time with Jesus and we're getting down to his feet and we're saying, Lord, I've done it again. Forgive me, Lord. I truly want you to help me to overcome this. I'm, I'm coming with a repentant heart. God, search me and know me and see if there's any anxious thought in me. Lord, sort me out. Start to pray like that and we'll begin to see things happen. Lord, show me who to go to today. Who can I bless today? What can I do that would bless somebody? Our lives will change, ladies. We will find a new way to live. And God's saying, that's the way of my kingdom. You're my bride. Start living like the bride of Christ. Start realizing you're wearing a wedding dress. You're not like the world. You're different. You're hearing the secrets of the bridegroom. You have words to say that are important. He wants you to speak his secrets into lives. He wants to give you secrets in the quiet place. And he wants you to take those and speak them and whisper them into people's ears. That they will be encouraged to go forward. What's wrong with us? We're missing out on the relationship with the bridegroom. And he's coming back. I tell you girls, I could get so excited about this. God loves you so passionately. Oh, is there anything worse than a passionate bridegroom and a bride that's going around like this? <laughs> get yourselves together and get passionate because he is for you and he's not against you. And stop listening to those lies of the enemy and get to his feet and enjoy kissing his feet and enjoy the intimacy that he wants to bring you into. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you're an almighty God. I thank you that nothing is too hard for you. I thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And I pray that your word might go in deep today. And I pray, oh God, that you will do something very, very special for each lady today. That you will speak in the deepest parts and that they will respond to you. Lord, you want a bride who is responsive. You don't want a bride who is hard-hearted and not interested in your attention. Lord, please soften our hearts. Help us to run to you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.